You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. Today I'm talking to Steve Byrne, who is the entertainment editor and the head of the Freep Film Festival. It is time to talk about the Freep Film Festival, which runs from April 10th through April 14th here in Detroit, Michigan. It is all over the place. I think there's like 14 venues or something crazy like that. You can find all the details over at FreepFilmFestival.com. I'm also very happy to announce that I will be doing Q&As for three of the screenings, two of the Alice Cooper screenings, as well as one for the Area 51 documentary screening. You'll find all the details for those over at ProjectionBoothPodcast.com. Now let's go ahead and roll that interview. Steve, it is our annual time to talk about the Freep Film Festival, and I'm very curious what is kind of the theme of this year's festival? It seems like every year you have some sort of theme that ties these films together. Yeah, we don't intentionally set out to create a theme. It seems like it tends to present itself in some ways. We're thematic in the sense that, you know, one, we're documentaries. Two, we always try to play up and embrace local angles and local filmmakers. So that is is kind of the spine that runs through the festival. And then after that, that's where I'm talking about where themes tend to start presenting themselves. And if we have one this year, and I think one did, it's definitely music. Um, Of course, Detroit is a great music town anyway, and we've always had a few music docs every year. This is the one where we really, we have a whole bunch of them. Most prominently, Cream, Boy Howdy, the story of Cream Magazine, I should say, is a movie about the great uh, rock and roll magazine that was birthed in Detroit in the early 70s and kind of went on to uh, battle Rolling Stone for a while. That's that's our opening night film. Uh, Michigan premiere, I just premiered at South by Southwest, I believe about six or seven days ago. That's one of our centerpiece films without question. But we have a whole bunch of other music programming as well. Um, a couple that jumped to mind. There's a thousand thoughts, which um, essentially the way that works, there's a documentary filmmaker named Sam Green. He used to do kind of regular kind of straightforward documentaries. He's actually Oscar nominated. Um, In the past uh, decade or so, he started creating these improvisational experiences that are built out of docs. And in in the case of a thousand thoughts, um, it's about the great classical music quartet, the Kronos Quartet. And what will happen at the event, Sam will be live on stage, kind of mixing the footage live, and Kronos will be there, essentially providing the soundtrack to a movie about themselves. We also have films about Alice Cooper, Miles Davis, free jazz, musicals that were created, what the film calls them, industrial musicals, movie called Bathtubs Over Broadway. The essential concept of these things was um, in the six, especially in the 60s, but also into the 70s, um, big companies like GM and Ford, American Standard, would create these in-house musicals that were meant to both uh, pet people up and then also, in some cases, provide sales momentum. And they would hire big Broadway uh, performers and songwriters and create musicals about their own companies. And this guy who is a uh, longtime writer for David Letterman becomes obsessed with these, uh, the existence of these things and starts trying to track down recordings of them and also the people that performed in them. And it's an absolutely hilarious movie. So I think there's probably at least one or two more music docs, but um, that gives you a good sense. We've got a, a wide range of uh, types of music that are represented, and uh, music is filtered all the way through. 
See, when you said industrial musicals, I was thinking of the actual, like, God gave them drum machines, the story of Detroit techno. Yeah, well, there you go. There's one that I forgot. Um, that's a rough cut screening, but a really cool documentary that's in the works about some of the techno greats from Detroit, particularly Derek May, Juan Atkins, and Kevin Saunderson. And the filmmakers have been working on this movie for a couple of years. It's pretty close to finished, but not quite done. So we're showing about 45 minutes of it, and they're going to talk about um, the process of putting it together and what they need to get it completed. We're, we're super excited about that one. But back to industrial musicals and uh, bathtubs over Broadway, I mean, there's literally like footage in there of an Amer- American standard, which is, of course, known for making bathrooms, you know, with songs written about like bathroom mirrors and sinks. It's, it's truly bizarre. I found it absolutely hilarious as well. I actually had a guy come up to me when I was in New Jersey a couple of weeks ago and tell me about this movie. He didn't know the name of it, but he was describing it all. So when I saw the listing on the Free Film Festival website, I was like, oh my God, this is it. I have to see this movie. As a festival programmer, you never want to say, you know, this is my favorite movie, but I would definitely describe that as one of one of the must-sees of the festival. I can't imagine anyone not finding it amusing at minimum, but it also, it speaks to like, I think people who probably listen to your podcast can relate. This guy just becomes absolutely obsessed with the idea of these things existing and he's collecting the records, tracking the stars down, looking for video footage, which does exist in some cases, thankfully. And, you know, it kind of takes over his life. And I think pop culture obsesses, you know, whether it's comic books, movies or whatever, his, his, his interest is just a tad more narrow than, than the most of us. And I, I think people will find it relatable in that sense if you have something that you've really latched onto. You also have some, I guess I would call them like retro screenings, where you're showing Standing in the Shadows of Motown and This is Spinal Tap. Yeah, the idea there is, you know, one of our, one of our festi- festival venues is called the Redford Theater. It's a restored 1930s, maybe late 20s, forgive me if I get that wrong, the, uh, theater in the heart of Detroit. It's done in this kind of faux-slash-melded Asian style, and they're really known in, in Metro Detroit for being a home for classical films and classical classic films. And we like to book films that fit the venues we're in. So in the case of the Redford, we're bringing back, like you said, it's the 35th anniversary of Spinal Tap, so we're super excited about that. It's the 60th anniversary of Motown this year in Detroit, so Standing in the Shadows of Motown is the great documentary about the Funk Brothers who provided the backing music for so many Motown hits. Um, you know, they played with for the Supremes, the Four Tops, the Temptations, Marvin Gaye, and oftentimes were uncredited. That movie is like 12 or 13 years old now. Uh, forgive me if my math is off. So at the Redford, we have that. And we also are showing a couple of double features that we're tying to documentaries. It's the 60th anniversary of Anatomy of a Murder, another movie that was made in Michigan. And so there's a, a making of doc called Anatomy of Anatomy that we paired those two. We also have the movie Blue Collar, which is uh, about some Detroit union workers, stars Harvey Keitel, um, Richard Pryor. And um, we had pairing that with a documentary, a brand new documentary about Richard Pryor. So that's kind of our focus over at the Redford is kind of bring older movies to the present. I was also happy to see the making of the uh, the Five Heartbeats paired with the Five Heartbeats film. The Five Heartbeats, I think, is, you know, definitely falls under that category of cult classic. 
it's about a very Temptations-like group that goes through all sorts of melodrama. Um, was written by Robert Townsend, and Robert Townsend also is one of the stars. He just recently, it came out in 2018, made a movie about the making of it. So that's another one where we're pairing the older film with the movie that just came out, in this case, a doc, which fits our, fits our theme. I am very curious as a film fan to see what she said, the art of Pauline Kael, because I spoke to the filmmaker, Rob Garver, back in 2015 about his Kickstarter. So to see that that's actually come to fruition makes me very happy. Yeah, um, I'm sure you and almost anyone who listens to your podcast will really enjoy that one. Um, it is the Michigan premiere of the film about, of course, perhaps one of the most influential film critic, if not the single most influential film critic ever, um, really dives into kind of the psychology, what her personality was like, and, you know, talks to the people that she reviewed positively and reviewed negatively and, you know, what power, um, you know, I think in this day and age when there are just so many voices out there speaking about film and in general, you know, the mainstream voices, whether it's big magazines or newspapers or whatever, tend to be more muted, I think it's it's hard to remember, like, just how much impact a negative or positive Pauline Kael review might have had on the market. So um, any film fan needs to see that one, I would say. Last year, when I was invited to come out to the festival, I hosted a Q&A of a movie about The Big House, which is Chrysler Arena, in case people aren't familiar here, which is where U of M plays his football games. I am very excited to see the uh, sports documentary that is there this year, Detroit Tigers, The Roar of 84, because that year is still just burned into my brain. Mine as well. Um, I am a lifetime Detroit Tigers fan and actually was, amazingly enough, at the fifth game of the World Series in 1984 when they won it. To anyone who remembers, Detroit got a little bit of a bad rap in the press for uh, – you know, overexcited, a little bit of overexcitement that turned into riots. Um, I actually did run on the field and uh, did my share of tearing up a little bit of the grass. I'm not necessarily proud of it, but it's uh, there's photographic evidence of it, so I can't deny it. Um, but, yeah, so this Detroit Tigers movie, um, it's the 35th anniversary of that world championship, and uh, we're going to have some of the original members of that team at the screening. Um, assuming that all works out, I would say right now it looks like it's about 99%. So it's an hour-long film that recaps how important that season was in Detroit, what indelible memories it created for people here. And uh, we should have a great discussion afterward with a few members from the team. I'll keep their names quiet because I don't want to jinx anything, but it, that's looking good that that's going to happen. Who else do you have coming to the festival this year that you can announce? As of right now, um, you know, we talked about the five heartbeats. I would put Robert Townsend also in that 99% uh, that he's going to be here. He's committed. I don't think his plane ticket is bought yet. A movie that might be of interest to your listening audiences uh, would be Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers. It's about the guy who essentially is, is credited with being the first employee to come out and talk about the existence of Area 51, which in the way Bob Lazar tells the story, the United States military had a a crashed extraterrestrial vehicle, and he was one of the people that was uh, put on the task of reverse engineering it. And so it was a really big deal when he came out in the late 80s and talked about that, and then he kind of went underground for a long time 
until this film, which just arrived uh, late last year, uh, came out. And uh, Bob now works in the state of Michigan, uh, and we're pretty sure we have managed to get him to come out after the Q&A for one of the two screenings we're doing. Here's a couple more people that we have uh, planned in for the festival. There's a movie called Uppity, the Willie T. Ribbs story. He's about the uh, first African-American to race in the Indy 500, and it looks like Mr. Ribbs is going to be attending. That's a world premiere film for us. A film called The Untitled Amazing Jonathan Documentary um, just premiered at Sundance earlier this year. The Amazing Jonathan, for people who don't know, is this kind of like legendarily insane cross between a comic and a magician. Uh, this film is very much in his spirit that you kind of don't know exactly what's happening, but it comes at you really fast. Not a traditional biodoc by any stretch. Um, the Amazing Jonathan is going to be in Detroit. So there's a couple other good ones I feel like uh, people will probably draw people out, not just for the film, but the chance to see some people that, that star in the films. I would say about 90% of our films have some element of engagement after them. In most cases, filmmakers, whether it's directors or, produ or producers, are coming. And if that isn't happening, we usually try to bring somebody from the, the city who would be relatable to the film, either issues that spring out of it, they have particular expertise. So we really try to go beyond just that. Often you're at film festivals and you do see the, you know, the 12 or 14 minute quick interview with the director and, you know, how much did it cost to make the film? Why did you make the film? And it's kind of in and out because you really need to shuffle people through. If you want to get that next thing up on the air, we tend to take a more extended approach. So we will have conversations after almost every film. I don't think I've mentioned, you know, we've, we're growing again this year. We've got about 100 events across the five days, um, including features and shorts, about 90 films. Um, we have six different shorts programs. All of them are themed, and those tend to do really well for us as well. But, um, yeah, we're right up around 100 events. But I'm not sure six year, when we started six years ago, um, we had two venues and about 13 screenings, if I remember correctly. So, um the escalation of what we're attempting to do uh, continues in 2019. Yeah, you're going to have to revisit that grid pretty soon. That is getting ridiculous. You've got so many venues this year. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was just literally not not a half hour ago talking about the, to the designer of our print guide, um, which will appear in the Sunday Free Press on April 7th and also will be handed out at all the venues, the horizontal width of it, um, it no longer fits in a tab format because our venues have grown and we run the venues across the top of it. It just, it will not fit in the traditional grid that we've used the last five years. So we're trying to figure out that design mess that we've created by, by growing. So you've hit on a, a, a real world issue for us. Is there anybody coming in for the Freaks and Geeks documentary? As of right now, it's going to be one of the producers. We are working to um, have some sort of Skype that would include some talent from the show. Um, Allie Hodge is the lead producer on it, and so she will be in town. Um, whether we have a star or creative uh, person involved in the show is still up in question at the time we're talking. It looks like you're tackling some interesting political situations here like the film hail satan and then there's the one what is it behind the curve about flat earthers 
Yeah, um, Hail Satan is a really in-depth look at the Church of Satan with a significant portion of the movie is filmed in Detroit where there's, I guess, some kind of internal battle over what direction the church should be taking, how much of it, what it's doing should be public-oriented, how much of it should be built around, you know, kind of its, I guess, takedown of religion, for lack of a better word. That's a movie that will probably raise a few eyebrows. It also just debuted at Sundance to really, really good reaction. Um, one of the, I guess, main characters in the film is from Detroit. She is going to, um, her name is Jax, and she is going to be at the screening, at least one of the two screenings. Not 100% sure if she's going to be at both of them. Yeah, behind the curve, um, I think a way to put that one is it essentially looks at the growing movement of flat earthers and attempts to do so with um, kind of a gentle rather than um, ridiculing approach, which I think I think the gut reaction a lot of us have, or a vast majority of us have, when you hear flatter, you hear somebody espousing flatter philosophy, you kind of just want to roll your eyebrows and walk away. I think the filmmaker is attempting to um, speak to some broader themes by taking their concerns um, at least. I don't know if seriously is the right word, but at least not um, with a kind of damning tone, which is nice, I think. As it tends to be the case in the documentary world, um, there are a lot of ser- – we've got several serious issue movies. Another one that jumps out at me is a movie called Dare to Struggle, Dare to Win, which was about a really controversial subdivision of the Detroit Police Department called Stress, which stood for uh, Stop Robberies, Enjoy, enjoy Safe Streets. And um, I think that they rose to the level of entrapment, and it became a really, really huge issue in Detroit in the 70s, and ultimately it was abolished. And this film tells the story of a crusading attorney who puts it upon himself to uh, try to stop what the police are up to. It's a movie about something that was happening, you know, pretty much nearly 50 years ago, but it feels relatively relevant to today as well. I noticed this year you have, and I don't know if you've had these in years previous, but so forgive me if I, I, I never noticed them, but you've got a lot of panel discussions as far as just like works in progress or women in film and these kind of things that aren't necessarily tied to a film event, but are film related. We've always done a little bit of it, but um, we're doing more of it this year intentionally. We have about 10 events that we would consider educational or geared towards the film community. All of them, except one, are free. A handful of them are panel discussions, as you mentioned. Um, One is about music documentaries. I mentioned the music theme that we have going. We have a lot of great music filmmakers in town, so we're going to collect them together for a discussion. As I'm sure your listeners know, the, the question of the ability of women to break through the glass ceiling in the world of Hollywood or movie making is... It has been a super hot one for the past couple of years, so we're going to kind of support that discussion with several female filmmakers that are in town. We also have a partnership with the Chicago distribution production company, Cartemquin Films, which probably most famous for the movie about Roger Ebert, Life Itself, um, was Oscar-nominated this year, Minding the Gap. Um, they're going to be in town with several other people um, helping us host workshops that are geared, geared toward the filmmaking community. Some of them are private. Some of them are public. Um, we've got a panel discussion that jumps out of one of our films called The Feeling of Being Watched, where the filmmaker 
who is also the subject of that film, uses uh, Federal uh, Information Act requests to great uh, success. And so we're holding a panel associated with the film um, that will teach people how to use FOIAs, which kind of fits in with the journalistic mission of the free press, which is, you know, ultimately the organizing entity of our festival. Well, I am really excited for this year's festival. You mentioned right off the top the idea of the uh, cream documentary. That sounds fantastic, and I really look forward to that. And it sounds like you have quite a gala plan for the premiere of that. It's a really exciting film. It, it's, it's fast-paced. You really get a sense of the personalities that made Creed happen. You get a sense of the way it really influenced a lot of musicians. You have members of Pearl Jam, R.E.M., Alice Cooper, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Patti Smith Group, all talking about like how important it was the first time they saw that magazine. I mean, in this case, we're bringing just about the whole filmmaking team into town. The director, Scott Crawford, um, the lead producer, J.J. Kramer, whose father was Barry Kramer, the, the founder of Cream. J.J. has a, a, a super intimate look. He's both in the film and helped produce it. Um, Scott Crawford, your listeners might remember, he had a really great movie about um, the punk scene in Washington, D.C. in the late 70s and early 80s called Salad Days. So I think he's he is going to be on our our panel about music docs. So he's, he's an expert of what he does. We're going to have a few music-related guests at that film on opening night as well, but I probably, um, as we're waiting to make sure they're happening, I'm going to keep the so how many years has the Free Film Festival been going on now? This will be our sixth. Um, I had somebody, uh, and there's a very long-time person in the festival world who's done some advising for us. So, you know, like once you get past year five, that means you're real in the festival world. So I took that as a compliment. Um, it's always been, you know, it's definitely an unusual thing for a newspaper to be attempting to put on a film festival. None of us None of the key people involved when it started really had any real experience in film festivals. We had done a little bit of volunteering, but no one had worked at one that was, you know, functioning at high level for any extended period of time. So it feels like six years has gone by really quickly. You know, I think the growth speaks for itself. You know, it shows that we're doing something right. I hope our attendance goes up this year. It has gone up every single year we've done it. Now it's on us to the market. And our patrons like the lineup enough that it, it grows again and we continue to propel forward, you know. But you, you always knock on wood because you never know exactly what's going to happen. Um, you just try to build the best lineup you can and uh, get a word out about it and uh, and see what happens. Well, I mean, after six years, it has to be so easy to do now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've learned a lot. I do feel like, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about the core team that helped makes it happen you know, including Kathy Kiliszewski, who is our artistic director, Jill Gaplani is our engagement director, and all three of us have been involved in it essentially from the start. Um, And while there are certain things that we do way better and don't make those mistakes that, you know, you made in year two or you made in year three, it does feel as it grows, it always is the opportunity to make more mistakes or or, uh, not think about something that you should be thinking about. And, you know, so, you know, you put out your share of fires when you're trying to, you know, show 100, make 100 events happen in five days um, and bringing filmmakers in from all over the country. And, of course, 
they all want their film treated in the best possible way. So there's, you know, there's a lot of people management to putting on a festival, and um, you just hope that the people that come have a good experience in the end. That's really what it's about. It's not about what happens behind the scenes. It's what happens if you show up for a movie, sit down, enjoy the film, and then enjoy the, you know, whatever happens after it, and walk away going, all right, that was a, that was a top-notch experience. That's that's really what you have to hope happens, and I think I think we I think we hit on a, a fairly high percentage with that. So the festival runs from April 10th to April 14th, and tickets are available, I imagine, through freepfilmfestival.com. Yeah, that's one I'll really quickly, one big change for the festival this year, probably our biggest stretch moment. You asked about does it get easier. Um, in past, not to get too in the weeds, but all our ticket sales used to happen through our venue partners, and this is the first year that we are controlling um, all of our ticket sales with the exception of opening night, which is a Live Nation co-sponsored event. So that's through Ticketmaster. But every other thing is through our own um, our own website for the first time. The big reason for doing that from the public-facing aspect is we've never had passes because if individual venues are selling their own tickets, it becomes really hard to coordinate. So gaining control of that this year allows us to do festival passes for the first time. It's something we had a lot of people asking for, so we're glad we were able to make that change. And now we're navigating how the uh, availability of passes affects the, uh, affects the user experience, as they say. Well, Steve Byrne, thank you so much for your time. It is always a pleasure talking with you, sir. No, Mike, it's, uh, we've always appreciated your support um, and your interest in the festival. Um, it means a lot. Um, you know, as you know, I'm a projection booth fan going all the way back. Really appreciate the fact you'd spend some time with me. She struts into the room. Well, I don't know her. Yeah.